Hello and welcome to the FIRE podcast. I'm Ryan Rhodes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We have a great podcast. I I had an incredible conversation with my friends Dimitri and Christina Proknevsky. And in this this podcast, we discuss uh, what it was like uh, for their family who who lived in the Soviet Union, who lived under communist rule, things like the KGB raiding unsanctioned church events. Uh, there's an incredible story about smuggling a Bible uh, past border security based on a prophetic dream. I think you're really going to enjoy this this episode. Also, if fire has impacted you in any way, or if you just really enjoy the fire podcast. Would you consider supporting uh, what we're doing and helping us grow this? You can do that by going to firemovement.com slash support, and you can give either a one-time gift or you can give monthly. Uh, also, please share this, uh, share it on your social media, share it with your friends and family, text that to everyone in your phone, however you want to do it, <laughs> but help us get the word out. We want to stir hungry people. We're going to jump right into today's episode right after a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. You got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth. He's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's there's nothing. This this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the King of the Universe and all of His goodness, all of His backing, if all of heaven is for you is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if you'll, if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you. This is the Fire Podcast. Well, I'm here with Christina and Dmitry Proknevsky. I hope yeah. I pronounced it right. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, there's multiple pronunciations I had to ask. Uh, <laughs> so I'm so glad to have them on today on the Fire Podcast. Um, I asked them to come on. I've known them for I don't even know how how long now. Uh, when did you guys first start coming around? What's that? 2013, yeah, something like something that. like that. We were on and off Loosely, for a little bit, yeah, and, and then, then we got committed. more and more committed. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I remember uh, Dimitri. The point I really connected with you was we went to Whole Foods. Uh, I don't know if that's I, I don't know if that's when you felt like you connected with me, but that's when I felt like I connected with you. We went to Whole Foods and you asked questions about angels. Do you remember that? No, I remember going to Whole Foods. I, I don't, I don't recall about that. about that. Christina remembers that I better remember. than I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just remember being really impressed by the fact that uh, most of those conversations that I, I've been invited into by people where they're like, hey, I want to ask you about something has been like coming to debate and like 
they come as a skeptic, not as somebody wanting to learn. And I was really impressed by your heart at that point to be like, you are actually open to truth, whatever that might be. And, and you want, you ask good questions or anything. So it wasn't coming in already, you know, like I've got a wall up, I will not believe this. And you, and it was really good questions. So not that I knew everything about angels, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Well, yeah, nice, man. Yeah, it was yeah. a good time. It was. Um, well, I'm excited to have you guys on uh, so we can connect as well since we live across the country. Um, but I believe you guys have a really unique perspective uh, on everything happening right now. And that's kind of where I want to start today. Is just like you guys have a u- unique perspective on what's happening as far as censor- censorship, cancel culture, that sort of thing because of your uh, your family's history in Eastern Europe. So do you want to give some of the background of just like, where's your family from? You know, some of that for, for each of you. Yeah, I guess I'll start us off. Mm-hmm. So, um, we are both from Ukraine, but I'll just talk about my side first. I am, uh, my family's from Kiev, the capital. And, uh, so, uh, technically I was born in the Soviet Union while, Ukraine was still part of the union. And then like four months later, the uh, Soviet union fell apart. And so, um, so, but like, you know, my parents and all, my older siblings obviously still remember a lot about living and growing up in Soviet union. So, uh, and then, you know, when we, when I was eight, we moved to the States, but you know, this is something that has been a point of conversation recently with just like sitting down and listening to my parents about their stories uh, but Christina's family is on the different side of Ukraine. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're from Western Ukraine, um, from a city called Lviv, and um, moved to the States in 2000. So I was four and a half. And um, I've been back a couple times to see family. So we're pretty connected with a lot of people there and what's going on there even now. And so, um, and I've heard a lot of stories, you know, growing up. And I even interviewed my grandparents a couple years ago just to really get all the details of, you know, how they grew up and what they lived through. So um, it's been really special to have all of that history kind of in our, from our family line passed down now to us. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Can, can you, uh, can either of you give kind of like for, for people who don't know anything about Ukraine, Russia, their relationship, like just a brief overview of what some of that looks like versus Soviet Union and, I didn't prep you. With are, you that, talking about, so. are you talking about some of the contemporary things that are happening, like in the current affairs just, or just in general? Just in general. In general, what, what's their modern relationship look like? Uh, so, yeah, Ukraine for a long time was under uh, Soviet Union. Um, so from 1917, I believe, to uh, 91. And so... So for a long time, they were pretty much, you know, occupied by Soviet Union and made to submit. And so there's there's really um, a lot of painful history there with, you know, tensions because Ukrainians are pretty freedom loving people. And uh, they've had stints in their history where they were independent, but they were just constantly like being conquered by somebody. And so for the longest period, it was Soviet Union. And Ukraine has suffered a lot under Soviet leaders like Stalin. Uh, there's a infamous Holodomor, which is a famous, uh, infamous um, uh, famine that was like forced on. It was a artificial famine that Stalin put on Ukrainians. I believe the numbers vary, but some people say between like nine to fourteen million people uh, died unnecessarily. 
And so there's a lot of tension. There was always a lot of tension between Ukraine and um, the Soviet Union. So, um, but obviously the people themselves are, are close and a lot of, there's a lot of mingling with, you know, relationally, family, everybody has somebody who's from Ukraine or Russia. So it's been, it's been relatively normalized, I think, uh, the relationships up until, uh, I believe it was 2014 with mm-hmm. Maidan and uh, when Russian uh, Russian government, current government started to kind of sponsor some proxy warfare in the eastern side of um, Ukraine. So that kind of rekindled some of some passions and division. Do you have anything to add, babe? Well, yeah. And just right now they're battling over territory that Russia is claiming is originally theirs. Ukrainians are saying, no, it's ours. And so there's a lot of um, a lot of kind of battling going on between the two people groups. So it's pretty tense um, right now between a lot of Ukrainians and a lot of Russians and not just there, but even here in, in the States, um, it can be tense. So, yeah, that's an interesting point because when we moved here to the States as immigrants, you kind of stuck together and the cultures are relatively uh, similar, especially you know, most uh, like a big part of Ukraine speaks Russian. So I was from the part that spoke Russian. Christina's family is from the part of Ukraine that speaks only Ukrainian. Um, and so so it was easier to get along with people from like former Soviet states like Russia and Belarus oh, and all these countries. But then when these political things started happening, there was there was a bit of a divide mm-hmm. in our even Slavic community. So it's been kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually I've run into that out here um, because we have such a large uh, population, especially Russians, but there are a lot of Ukrainians and other Eastern European nations. Um, and I've actually seen that talking to Russians. Like if if you say anything about Ukraine, I've seen a little bit of a like something come out. I'm like, oh, you're a little racist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like there's there's yeah. something there. Um, Anyways, so how did, before we jump into all of that and really get deep into it, how'd you guys meet? We met at a, um, actually speaking of the communities mixing, we were at a Slavic church. Um, So it had Russians, Belarusians, Ukrainians. And so my family had been there for quite a while. And Dimitri's family moved from Tennessee to Ohio and started going to this church. And so that's kind of where we met. We were in like a you know, youth group or whatever together and taught Sunday school. Yeah. taught Sunday school. (laughs) And, um, so that's how we met immigrants stick together. And if you're all in the same city, you tend to mingle. So, um, yeah, I was at this little, little Slavic church. Yeah. What what kind of church was it? Was it like a spirit filled? Like, did they believe in the gifts and all that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was like really, I mean, there's all sorts of Slavic churches in the States, the two like biggest in our city in Columbus were there's a more like a traditional Pentecostal uh, church, you know, where you have to kind of adhere to certain dress codes and stuff. And then the church that we were a part of, they were more, I guess, like charismatic, um, the Slavic sense of, of yeah. the term. So there was still a, a lot of tradition and, and a little bit different, but yeah. yeah, we were, we were with that church. Yeah. That's awesome. So as uh Jumping into some of the stuff that's happening, you know, cancel culture. So we've we've seen where people with platforms are being deplatformed from social media, uh, different things like that. It also uh, we've seen a lot of it with uh, people's jobs. You know, they they do something whether it be actually wrong or considered wrong politically, 
uh, and then their people threaten, you know, uh, go after them on social media and even their jobs, let them go. Um, things like that have been happening for several years now, at least. Um, and it's, it's kind of growing and we've seen a lot happen here in the last like month, uh, two months. And, um, Anyway, so what kind of conversations has that stirred up? Has that stirred up any conversations within your families? Like, have they, you know, like pointed at and been like, oh, this is dangerous? Or, you know, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, we, I think we definitely recognize uh, kind of like where this is going. I, I don't recall having specific conversations with my family about it. I think we just all kind of, we're not surprised in a sense. Um, I, in a sense, we are that this is happening in America. You know, that's something that you you didn't see coming just a few years ago. But I feel like it's been ramping up for the last few years. So people are kind of not straight up shocked by it. Uh, but it definitely brings back uh, memories from stories that I've heard about, you know, what our parents experience. You know, uh, my dad has stories about him being persecuted um, at his job for things he did for like uh, church activities that he did outside of his job. And then I know Christina's grandpa, I, I talked to him recently and he told me how he pretty much lost his job because of some church activities. So uh, there's some eerie similarities for sure. I was just going to say, I think that what, what has been coming up like in family conversations that I've been a part of is this kind of realization that, you know, we fled the Soviet Union, like, you know, all these countries to come to the one country we knew that would never have this, you know, or we thought we knew would never have this. And so to see it start coming up is really concerning because it's really America, I think, is the only country left that has been in the past pretty um pure about like, hey, you, you know, you can say what you want to say and you can do what you want to do as long as it's within the laws of our government and you're good, you know, and there's not very many countries left that allow that. And so to see that starting to change with cancel culture is pretty concerning because it's like, wow, this is, you know, this is the one country we all looked at as a picture of freedom and that's slowly starting to be taken away. So, yeah. So when you say that uh, family members like jobs were you know, things that happen with their jobs. Was that government mandated? Was this their boss finding out they went to church? What, what did that look like? Well, the story that I can share from my dad uh, was that he was um, basically the, the KGB would do like raids on any kind of religious, on like unsanctioned religious gatherings. Because, uh, you know, they had the facade that they didn't ban religion. You know, they had the the kind of the state um, approved Orthodox Church of the Soviet Union, where later on it came out like there's, you know, a lot of the priests were just kind of KGB agents um, mm -hmm. and kind of taking confessions and, and recording information and stuff. But yeah. if you wanted to do any other religious activity, it was like unsanctioned and, and unallowed. And so my dad was um, was kind of caught in one of these meetings and it was they usually gathered in like apartments and stuff, you know, in the city. And so as a result, they kind of wrote him up in a sense. And um, I don't know if there was an actual fine, but I know part of the punishment uh, was for like this first offense was they actually called his um, his manager, his boss at his uh, at this. He worked at this like uh, meat factory. And so they called his boss and told him that, hey, you know, like we caught him breaking the law. We need you to kind of make sure he doesn't get any kind of bonuses. He doesn't get any kind of vacation. Just we really need to punish him for mm -hmm. this behavior. And uh, the funny part of that story is that, you know, Soviet Union, um, 
people really kind of uh, really believe the motto that everything belongs to everybody, you know, socialism. So everybody stole from from the factory on a consistent basis. Like they would, everybody would just come home with a little bit of meat here and there, including the the boss himself. Like he would he would just take the most. And so when when he got a phone call saying that hey, this Christian man. Uh, is doing illegal things and you need to punish him. He was too embarrassed to punish dad because he, he, you know, he was an open Christian and he didn't do any of this stuff. So the guy was like, just too ashamed to punish him because, you know, dad was like the most righteous person. He's in the the only factory. One not so that <laughs> ended up amazing. saving him. Yeah. So he didn't end up because um, he was planning a trip to Poland to visit his sister who lived there. And he was about to lose that um, kind of like vacation time. But then his boss ended up not doing anything. And then I know Christina's grandpa. And do you remember those? And you want me to tell that? You can say. I, I I spoke to him recently, and and he was like, uh, he was actually a, a pretty higher up guy. Like he he ran a whole like uh, produce warehouse, and he was a pretty well connected guy. And uh, which was really rare because he wasn't a part of the communist party, and it was just kind of like really odd how he got there. It was just God's hand. And that's what I was going to say. Just one thing you were asking, like, how is it just like are on the government level and it was basically if you were not a part of the communist party the only reason why you wouldn't be is because you're a believer you're a christian and so it was pretty obvious whether you were or were not and then that would determine the rest of your you know your opportunities your education and all these different things it was wow. it was kind of like a line in the sand for for the christians so anyways yeah yeah so and, and there's a lot of stories from from christina's side uh, grandpa but one of the things that I, I, on this topic is that he traveled to um he actually you know he, he was a little more well off because of his position at the time but he he had a car and he drove to um somewhere to another country just a neighboring state for a church service so and the like the authorities monitored him and they accused him of because you know they had conspiracy theories going that christians were using churches as some kind of like political um, hubs uprising. to like to plan political uprising and you know the west was sending agents through churches or whatever so they accused him of some sort of spying um, because he was going to churches uh, in other countries and so they told him like hey when you come back we're gonna like try you and we're gonna put you in a prison and he's like you guys can you know you guys can search anything you know uh you can i'm not stealing i'm not bringing back any information i'm not doing any spy work so basically on his way back to uh to soviet union he knew that they're going to search his car and he had one bible with him that he really didn't want them to find and so it's like it sounds like a movie man because he's like i prayed to god i was like i i really you know need you to protect this bible because they were really hard to come by and he got a dream where to hide it in the car like what specific part of the car where they were like when the border security whatever searches it uh that they wouldn't find it and he's like, I didn't tell my wife, I didn't tell my kids, because I knew they were going to sell me out to the agents, you know, like out of fear. Maybe they would like say something. I just quietly drove to the woods. I've parked my car, went for a walk, making sure, watching that no one was following me. No agents were, you know, keeping an eye on me. It's just like a, like a James Bond movie. Then he like, you know, parked the car in the woods and like took the car apart and put this Bible in somewhere and, and then like was able to sneak it back in. But yeah, he ended up losing his job because of like these accusations. Oh my gosh. But it's crazy that all that was over a Bible. 
So what is the uh, availability of a Bible? Uh, well, at, at that time, or even now, if you know, well, now it's, it's all, you know, it's good. Yeah. Uh, freedom wise, you can have a Bible, but um, it was, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know to the extent of like how illegal or legal the Bibles were. Um, so I, I just know they were precious and I know that, you know, if they found them on you and stuff like that, that's just like a cause for persecution. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's an actual law against having a Bible or not. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you guys seeing now that makes you think of, of those stories and stuff? Like what's the stuff that probably, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily scare you, but is kind of like puts you on edge a little bit as you're seeing it happen. Is it the cancel culture? Is it the deplatforming stuff? Is it finances being frozen? Like what, what is, you know, is it the tax on the church? Like is there anything that stands out? I mean, all of the above. I think that just anything, like we were talking about this the other day where it's, we're starting to get into a place in America where um, people are trying to govern for themselves, uh, other people. And so it, it goes outside of like what you were saying, it goes outside of laws, you know, of like, Hey, right or wrong. It's like, I decided what's right and wrong. And I'm going to punish you based on that personal decision that I have. And um, it gets concerning when I can attack you and make you lose your job because of my own, kind of preferences on something. And if I can get a big enough group of people to agree with me, we can shame you into either agreeing with us or just completely backing down. And that is what what was happening, you know, in the Soviet Union and in Ukraine is that it was just on a on a much more extreme level that like a whole uh, you know, political party or whatever could say if you're not with us, you're against us and you have no opportunity to uh, prosper and grow in this in this country. And so I think that that's super concerning when people start to just move outside the lines of just normal laws of living and start to create these arbitrary things that you have to agree with and you have to live by in order to be able to to live a normal life, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that kind of just to piggyback off that is like what was happening in the Soviet Union and a lot of the things that people were kind of maybe fearing for America, like it, it was more so like, well, the government is going to get so uh, so intense on everybody. And there's going to be government persecution, but it's coming from the private sector. Um, that's kind of, I think that's, that's the more scary slash surprising uh, angle. It's like, man, I didn't expect that. Like the, all these like private sector institutions are just kind of silencing. And, and you know, they're not really, um, they're not um, they're not accountable to the same kind of things that the government institutions would have been in America, you know, checks and balances and stuff. But uh, a lot of these private institutions don't have that. So they kind of have uh, a clean slate, a, a clean check, let's say, just mm-hmm. to kind of do whatever they want. So that's that's kind of scary because there's no limits to where they can go. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's where we're at. I, I think figuring out constitutionally, one of the things I think the founding fathers, uh, I don't know if this is God inspired or they're just very wise, but everything that they put in was it created regulations, no matter what your beliefs. Um, and it created like healthy boundaries to protect everyone. 
Um, and that's that's where this gets kind of scary is because if one side or the other of of a belief system can decide what's right and punish the other ones, there's nothing protected anymore because all it takes is your party or your system to be in place and the other ones are going to be shut down. Um, so that's why I think regardless of political spectrum, this this is something that everyone should be aware of right now and like actually recognizing, like, hey, this isn't this isn't OK. This is not OK that any of these companies have have this level of power and it's going unchecked. Um, yeah. And then there's obviously money being exchanged and, and all kinds of other stuff there. But well, another thing to add to that is, you know, we were just talking about this the other night. It's like people, conservatives, Christians, some, some conservative Christians have been doing something to a degree as well. I don't know if you've like seen this, like Facebook pastor calling everyone to boycott Starbucks because they're not saying Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is what is happening right now on the other side, except they're just way better and more organized about it. And so it's also a learning moment to kind of like not sow things that you're going to have to reap later on. So I think this is a learning moment to really value freedom and to honestly respect people who disagree with you to give them that same freedom to, to live how they want within, you know, within the laws of the land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting uh, conversation to have because that kind of the beauty of capital, capitalism is you have the right to choose who you support. And, mm -hmm. and it's not that you cancel somebody or shut down their ability to do business, but I don't have to take my dollar to their business. And so it's almost like your money becomes your vote or your, your support. Um, and But we have been really guilty of of cancel culture and you know it, it is and, and then like what is what's the level that's a, okay i think i think we might have talked about this when i was in ohio but like we're all okay with cancel culture to an extent like we cancel mm -hmm. pedophiles and like there's certain things that like we're like okay you should be removed from everything we don't trust you uh, what's scary is when those are the morality of what is cancelable is uh, isn't based on anything like it's based on right. feelings. And I think that's where it gets really scary. Cause like, I think almost everyone, I know there's some people starting to say pedophilia is okay, but, uh, almost everyone would agree like on a moral basis that that's wrong. But now you've got like almost half the country saying one thing is moral and another half saying something else is moral and, and deciding on this where there's no standard. And it's just like, whatever's popular today. So yeah. And I, and the other thing with cancel culture and like tearing other people down is there is never a, there's never a limit to it. Like there's never a time when it's like, OK, great, we're done now, because once you start something like that, like I can tear at you, you can tear at me, we can tear at that person. And, and like there's just there's no end to it. And so you end up creating this really dangerous um society that no one can just have a unique thought you know without no one can express it it's, it limits people being able to speak freely it limits being people being able to I think even think freely because it's like wow I'm not a part of the most dominant voice right now I might lose my job you know or I might whatever the situation is and so it's it's even challenging I think the ability for people to explore um free thought you know and and be able to express that without without worrying about some kind of consequence that has nothing to do with the, with the law, you know? Yeah. People are so like lonely right now with like 
all the isolationism that's happening because of the pandemic and stuff. And so on top of that, if you're putting some kind of like veiled threats of like, hey, if you don't play along, if you don't agree with what we're saying, you're going to be completely ousted out of the group. I saw somebody uh, write something on, on some social media site like, oh, my mask broke while I was at Walmart and I was more concerned about people thinking that I'm an anti-masker than me catching COVID. And I think that's kind of like true. Some people are just like freaking out. I don't want to be, I don't want to be, you know, not part of the group because I'm already lonely. And so it is a very, um, it's, it's, it's a very sad thing that people are kind of manipulating that kind of desire that people have to like be a part of a collective uh, to get what they want. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I saw this thing the other day, and I don't know where this uh, where this statistic came from, uh, but basically it was talking about that the acceptance of LGBT uh, the, as a movement has gone down 8% in the 17 to 24-year-old age range in the process of a year. Um, mm-hmm. So the acceptance has dropped 8%, which seems contrary to what we would, you know, you'd think like, oh, they're younger, they're probably more progressive, whatever, but it's dropped. And this wasn't even a Christian thing I was like listening to, but they were talking about how, how shame, like the shame culture thing and shaming people into agreeing with you can only go so far before it backfires. And like Mm -hmm. people start turning against it because they just like, even if they're actually okay with like, you know, okay with LGBT, like, there, but there's so much shame behind driving the movement. You have to accept this and you have to buy into this, this, and this, if you believe that. And like, it's actually having a reverse effect where they're losing support, um, which all ultimately deals with, I mean, the main spirits operating. Uh, at one point, I don't think I ever shared this at fire or anything, but like God gave me his vision. I was asking about the spirit of Jezebel and how it works. And I saw, um, I saw a hand uh, I just like saw this image and the hand was labeled Jezebel and the strings were labeled the political spirit and uh, the like, or no, it had like the, uh, it was like a puppet. So like the wood part, like holding the wood, almost like the Godfather thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it was the hand, the the wood part was the political spirit and, or no, it was the opposite. The wood part was the religious spirit. The strings were the political spirit. And the people were the church. And I was, I was really blown away by that. Um, but I, all those spirits obviously operate together. Jezebel's like control, manipulation, shame, whatever to control you. Um, you know, the religious spirit, you know, by, it's really similar. And then the political, political spirit, the political demon is it's ultimately Pilate washing his hands of something to say like publicly, like, Hey, I have nothing to do with this. This is all you. And And that's like, like, we're seeing all of that play out. This like cancel culture is the Jezebel spirit. And it's, I'm going to destroy your life. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to control you. I'm going to shut you down, shut down your voice. Like Jezebel's against the prophets. I'm shutting down your voice. I'm shutting down truth. And, and if you don't, uh, and if you don't wash your hands of this person or this cause or whatever publicly, then you're just as guilty. And that's like a weird transition that everything took that I I noticed, uh, you know, in so many different causes, but it was like, if you don't post, I mean, we've seen it with the racism and stuff like that. Um, You know, if you're not an anti-racist now, like if you're not like blatantly speaking out, it was like every time something happened, if you didn't say something, you're guilty. And it's like, it's like, whoa, like, uh, you know, people I have relationship with, I'm like, you know me. I don't have to post on Facebook to make that true. That's actually, that's 
politi- that's a political demon. And I think that's a weird transition. I know we were talking much more about the practical, but like that's a weird transition that's happened the last couple of years. I don't actually understand why or how it's how it's built so quickly uh, in this country, and it probably was there much longer. Um, you know, and, and it really does seem like that's headed towards like uh, you know socialist communistic kind of thing in this nation. Do you guys have any have any thoughts around that? Does that spark anything in you? Well, I was just thinking, like you were talking about, like I don't know, you know, why that's that has moved on so quickly, moved forward so quickly. And I was just thinking, like you know, with our generation, social media um, being, you know, obviously such a huge thing, but it kind of was started with us. And I remember um, when I was in college, I studied like marketing and stuff, and we would talk about what kind of companies our generation gets behind versus what other generations get behind. And the big thing with our generation is um, like social causes. Like we want companies to stand up for something and, you know, really take a stance on something. And it feels almost to me like social media feels like the only way someone can feel powerful. Mm. Like to a lot of people, to me, it's what it seems like is like you feel powerful when you can go online and say something because you view that as your only opportunity to make a difference you know like if I can say something if I can get this company to respond if I can get this person to agree with me now I'm making a difference and I'm powerful and so I wonder if that's why it's become such a huge thing is because people are like politics is too confusing I don't know what's going on let's not do that but social media you know I can make my voice heard I can have thousands of followers I can have someone you know repost or whatever and all of a sudden I can start some thing of it's like this sense of power that's not really necessarily there, but all of a sudden it's become (laughs) real because if you get enough people following it, you can unfortunately do some damage to someone else's, you know, life or, or just their social media presence or whatever it is, you know? So I just wonder if that's one of the pushes behind that, you know, something driving it. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. Well, it's it's interesting too because you uh, you guys mentioned a second ago, or a few minutes ago, about how um, you know even 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 when you align with the like common thought, eventually you're going to be against it in some way, or you know something's going to come against you. I forget exactly how you guys said it. I was just thinking, like I, I don't know how familiar you guys are with YouTube uh, and some of the YouTube stars and some of their their fighting and stuff, but I've noticed like this happening consistently over the last couple of years, where like some of these uh, really, you know, pushing different agendas, like people on their platform, they're known for speaking about that and stuff. And then like they get canceled or they get attacked and they lose like millions of (laughs) subscribers overnight. Um, because that whole machine that they were leading then turns against them. It's like, it's, it's a, a beast that turns to, to then attack them. It actually recently happened with, uh, there's a comedian I won't I won't use names or anything but basically uh, a lesbian comedian that was like really uh, you know going against like or really going for the me too stuff and attacking men and all this stuff and then it came out that basically they were very uh, hostile behind the scenes and were doing the same things that they were accusing men of doing they were doing um, and stuff so then the whole thing got turned on them and then they lost a lot of fans so it's just really interesting that uh, and I think some of it has to do with us being a justice generation is like we have such a, yeah. a need to do something to war for something, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that ultimately should be the gospel. But they're finding other things to, like, give their lives to. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing I think that I, you know, I started noticing it with when like the Me Too movement was starting, uh, you know, it's been a while back now, but, you know, like I thought that was great. Like, yeah, we need to make sure that you know, women are not being uh, abused and, you know, all these powerful people are finally being brought to justice and, you know, um, all these like Hollywood executives and like, that's great. But what was, what I found odd is just like in that, some of the people were that were like all about me too just like a year ago they were like making songs and movies that were totally disrespectful and totally uh objectifying of women and it's like oh so you notice that this is the cool thing to do now this is what the collective is doing and now you're on this like where were you a year ago and to me it's just kind of it's so obvious it's silly i don't know i guess like some people are not noticing i just don't take you know those people seriously like you you're you're you don't have a you don't have real convictions on this topic you're you're just going with the flow and that seems like a very frustrating uh place to be where you're constantly like what's the what's the in thing you know and yeah. now it's like everything's being recorded and saved online so like 20 years from now what you supported is is gonna turn and now you're you're gonna get canceled so it's just like just have a conviction and live and die by it. Like just believe something and just let that be enough. Don't try to change every new movement, you know? Yeah. It's exhausting. <laughs> I feel, I feel like the church has tried to do that too. We've seen that over and over again, mm-hmm. but I, you know, with, with each of these movements, like all of them um, almost like, you know, that's a little broad, but many of them, they, they start really genuine and pure and they like had the really good causes that any of us would agree with. Um, you know, like me too, like women being able to speak out and say, Hey, this happened to me and not, not being ashamed, you know, to do that or not being shut down or manipulated by their abuser or whoever did it. Um, that's important, but all these, all of them get hijacked. Uh, I, I, I had some good conversations with some friends, uh, in the black community about this, but like, you know, with, uh, black lives matter, it's like, we all can agree that we want, you know, I mean, maybe not everyone, but for the most part, we agree that, you know, everyone should be treated equal. Um, you know, like we don't want people to be killed at a disproportionate rate or, you know, any of those things, like we would all support that. We want, we want good regulations for police officers and we want police officers to have good mental health. And like, we want them protected too. Like we, all these movements we actually agree on and then they get hijacked and like become political and like, you know, Black Lives Matter specifically was hijacked by, uh, you know, communistic Marxist ideas and like anti the, you know, the family, the family unit, they're trying to eliminate that. Um, And then really quickly, like LGBT jumped on it too and, and started. And I actually saw that a few years ago, that start where it became like, oh no, this is a civil rights issue. And once again, LGBT, like we would all agree that no one should be treated like lesser of a human being because of, you know, because they're, they're gay or lesbian or whatever. Um, You know, we may not agree biblically with that, but like, you know, what they're, what they're doing, but like, they shouldn't be treated like lesser of a human being or, or, you know, not allowed to have certain jobs or like, that just doesn't make sense. But then it became like, oh no, we're like, this is the new civil rights issue. And they piggybacked on a cause and like on the pain of that cause to try to promote theirs. And like, Mm -hmm. to me, that is like some of the, it's gross first off, like it's just spiritually gross that that stuff happens. But I feel like people don't see it. 
Like they just don't see it. And then they, they feel like, then it's like, if I, if I agree with this, with this, the main, the main sentiment of this cause, I have to buy into all these other ideas or else I'm against it. And, and that's where these things get weird. But I think, like I was saying before, I think it's backfiring. I think it more and more mm-hmm. is going to begin. And it's honestly, it's more millennials. Like it's, it's our age range that are supporting most of these causes and a lot of the Gen Zers are are starting to move away from them. Not, you know, they, there's still a good amount of support and stuff, but like more and more, that's statistically, if that statistic is true, they're starting to back away from it and just be like, yeah, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> just, it's hmm. very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't heard of that before with the Gen Z. So I'm curious to, to keep an eye out for that, to see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's always interesting how like the naming uh, you know, it's hard to go against something that, you know, like you said, it starts off great and it has a name that is great. Black Lives Matter. Everyone agrees with that. But then when you're saying when you're noticing like, hey, wait, they're talking about Marxism. That's they're talking about destroying the family union. Like we, someone should point that part out, you know, but it's like, oh, so you're saying black lives don't matter. And like, no, I'm just talking about this one area of Marxism and destroying the family union. And but like, oh, you can't talk about that because you're against you're a racist now. So it's just same with like the Patriot Act, you know, like, are are you not patriotic if you're if if you're opposed to wiretapping? Like, it's like (laughs) these clever names and you can't it's like it creates this barrier and people are are afraid to say anything. Understandably so. Like, man, I I don't always feel comfortable talking about these topics because I don't want people to hear me wrong. But like, Mm. it's it's kind of brilliant on their end to, to use that. But it's just like, how do you? How do you go around that? I guess some people just have to take a position and just receive the flag. But uh, yeah, it's very, it's a very uh, fine line that we're walking right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see that everywhere, like in the abortion, like pro-life versus pro-choice. It's not pro-abortion, it's pro-choice. And it's just like, it's it's all political. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. In, in, your, in your viewpoint, like what is the point of communism and socialism? Why is it, why is it used by governments? Like why, why would a government, why would a nation go that direction? Um, I've actually been thinking a lot about why people really want socialism because, you know, obviously coming from Soviet union, that's something that's like deeply ingrained within me that I never want to live in. And so as I've been kind of, listening to all of these conversation points coming up from our generation, from, you know, like college age students and all these people that are really pushing for socialism. I'm just like, what is going on? Why, why is this so desirable to people? And I'm not saying I have all the answers, but just what I've been noticing by people is um, I think sometimes people feel very overwhelmed by life and they feel overwhelmed by all of the things that they have to do in life or they take on a narrative of like, oh, it's too much. You know, it's it's way too much for me to have to figure this out and take this on and work about this. And so I think sometimes people like the idea of someone else coming in and taking care of that for them. And so as a government, you know, if, if a government, uh, you know, group sees like, hey, I have a bunch of people here that aren't really interested in taking ownership of their own life and or certain elements of their own life, I can come in and propose that I'll take care of that for them. And then they'll come and serve my needs and my purposes. And so um, I think that that's 
Hmm. As from a government standpoint, it's a really easy way to start to control and regulate people because it's a trade-off, right? Like, hey, I'll take care of you. Kind, you know, that's debatable, but I'll take care of you, your needs, your, you know, food, shelter, all this different stuff. And now here's my rules for that. And a lot, I think people that feel powerless in their own lives or feel, maybe some people genuinely are, like I'm not trying to make over generalizations, but I just think that sometimes people are just like, okay, it's worth it. You know, control these areas of my life, but just just give me a house, give me guaranteed food or whatever, healthcare, and I'll take it. I'll be controlled. And so I think that there's just this narrative of like, life's really hard and it's really hard to to make things work. And these systems are just, they're out to get you. And it's, you know, and... And I'm like, we're in America. <laughs> like this, out of all the countries, like, yes, life can be hard in America. And, you know, our immigrant families, our parents will be the first to tell you it was not easy coming here, but it's completely possible to do well. And I think that the minute you, you say, hey, someone else come take care of me because it's too hard. You, it's like my house, my rules kind of stuff, right? Like if I'm going to, if you're going to live in my house, well, we have house rules. And so I think that there's like a dual dual sides like there's the people that need something a need met and there's the government that um you know we don't live in a in a kingdom world and so there's a government with their own interest and they take advantage of that and they say okay cool this is great we can we can make this happen and there's finances involved with that right because then your money's coming collectively and there's government leaders who make that money go into places that they prefer and so it just it's like a perfect storm you know of um of using of using powerless narratives to to get what you want. I, that's at least what I've been kind of no. like thinking about and processing how that might kind of come together. Well, I think that's coming from like actual conversations with people that we know close to us who are like supporting some socialistic policies and stuff, and just you know talking to them and observing how they think. And it's like, oh, okay, you just want somebody to step in and help you because you feel like you're you're in a place where you can't grow anymore. You can't you know, achieve more, you can't do anything. So it kind of makes sense. I guess you're settling for this as a means of, well, at least I'll have something guaranteed. So uh, I think that's where that's coming from. But also I think, you know, just like this may be controversial, but like, I think pure form of, uh, from my vantage point, I'm not a political expert, but like a a pure form of capitalism is also not the best thing. Uh, We see capitalism go too far. We see people just, throwing themselves at their, you know, corporate work and just abandoning their personal life, their families. And, and we see a lot of people who are just kind of burning through and falling through the cracks. And so that's bad. Right. And then socialism, there's also this extreme socialism where it's like, Hey, this is really bad. You're giving up control for some security. And so, but I think there's, you know, there's good and bad of both. And so the good socialism has a lot of like, what people perceive to be good. It's like, well, you know, we got to take care of everybody. We got to, you know, it's all the good stuff. Like, yeah, we do have to take care of each other, but like, why, why do you want to give that much authority to the government to take care of? How about let's, let's us people get together and like take care of people. Let's take care of people in our lives who are suffering, who don't have enough. Let's be generous. Let's, let's take care of people. It's like, but uh, so again, I think some people are, are milking that kind of good intention and are, are using that for political expediency um, so I, I think it's, I think that's where that stems from and coupled with what Christina said, like some people are just really just 
I, I, again, the small part of population, I don't want to speak generally, but some people, I, I just want to freeload, you know, they're like, Hey, I, I want to, I want to, you know, free money. I want to, mm-hmm. I want more of these stimulus checks coming in. And it's funny. I remember watching a, a little documentary film about how Castro, you know, overthrew Cuba and they kept, you know, Cuba actually was like a, apparently like a resort Island for a lot of like Westerners. And, and so there was a lot of wealthy people there. And so the Castro propaganda machine kind of used that to rile up people to revolt. Like, Hey, look at all these wealthy people just kind of not sharing their wealth. And like, when, when I get in power, we're going to share the wealth mm-hmm. and you won't have to work as hard. We're going to have plenty of money. Everyone's going to have plenty of money. But the interesting thing that this documentary said after the revolution, there was a lot of people who refused to work. They're like, Hey, mm-hmm. you said we're going to have money. Like wh- why do I have to keep working? And so they actually had to, uh, enact a law that says if you don't work you get executed and that's how wow. hard they like they struggled getting people to work because nobody wanted to work they actually bought the lie like oh yeah socialism i just don't mm-hmm. well just government's going to supply for me well and that happened in ukraine too not to the level but um my my mom was telling me how in ukraine if you were walking around uh during the day like during working hours if you're just out and about on the streets you you were going to get stopped and questioned and potentially detained um because you need to be at work um serving the common good you know and so my mom like she said she was in school and she decided with some of her friends to like skip class for a day and they were going to go to the movie theaters and her other friends ended up not showing up for some reason and she was freaking out because there's like some guy in the movie theaters and she's like oh no he's gonna like grab me but that was like a real fear is you can't live your own um you can't live your own life you know your day-to-day is very structured it's very like you have to be working because it's for the common good but it's i don't it just it's the way that it's portrayed is not the way that it's lived (laughs) and i think multiple countries have shown that and so people like the idea of yeah we'll all share everything and you know it's all going to be given out but the government does not have its own resources. The government has what you as the taxpayer, as the citizen give them, right? And so for them to keep having those resources, you're going to have to be putting in the work, right? So it just, it doesn't, it doesn't end up becoming what, what the picture is. Um, Yeah. To add on that, um, my dad told me that one year without work in Soviet Union uh, equated to one year in prison. Like if you, if they could prove that you didn't work for a whole year, you get a year sentence. Wow. So they didn't, they didn't play around. Yeah. But it's amazing. You're, you're taking care of, right. But like your life is not your own. You're, you're a slave of the government in, in a lot of ways. Um, and I just don't understand why people would invite that into this country. You know, yeah. it, does, it doesn't make sense. Well, and, and then the, the idea of, uh, that's a lot of trust to trust anyone with to control exactly. your life, like within, mm-hmm. within our current structure where we are able to make decisions for our own life versus, I mean, you could have an amazing leader for even a decade, but you know, you don't know who's coming after that. Like, so you mm-hmm. could have somebody who has your best interest this year <laughs> and next year gets somebody totally different, uh, who doesn't and, and they're hungry for power. And that's a lot of power uh, to manage all of the money of a society and decide what happens with it and who does what. Uh, it's pretty terrifying. And then, then you get into things like, um, you know, China, most people don't, don't know some of this, but like in the cities, uh, the facial recognition software, this has nothing to do with anything, but like the facial recognition software 
is so precise that uh, you can walk across the street and jaywalk. And by the time you get to the other side, the fine is taken out of your bank account. That's and like, get the, it's that kind of, that kind of control, that kind of access. Mm. And we're, we're pretty quickly headed that way to where, you know, physical money is probably going to disappear, you know, and, and everything will ultimately be controlled by somebody. It's just like, how much do we actually trust that anybody outside of us and our family has our best interests at heart? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't trust it. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, this is, it's kind of been like talking points that have come around even just with like in America with certain things going on with like COVID regulations. And I remember reading someone talking about like, I'm so shocked that still after everything we've seen in 2020, people still are thinking, some people are still thinking like, yeah, the government really has my best intentions at heart. They're really doing this for me. Like it's, you're, you're trusting a government more than your neighbor, you know, more than, more than your community. You're looking to a government leader that you have no personal relationship with, that you don't have not very much track record of, and you're trusting them to take care of your life more so than leaning on your community, leaning on your family, um, you know, building your own life. And it just, it's not, it doesn't make sense. It's, and like you said, it can very quickly become something dangerous. So it's just, it's not great. It's, it's almost like, um, I think, I think all these are everything that we're, people are asking for the government to, to the areas that they're, they're wanting the government to take over are all areas that the church kind of neglected. Like the, the oh. church has always, um, you know, so like our biggest issues are, you know, sanctity of marriage. We always talk about that abortion, um, you know, welfare, like these are some of the biggest issues in the country, healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. the churches always have, have run the hospitals, like throughout the history of the church, we're the ones running the hospitals, taking care of people, healing mm-hmm. the sick, whether it be supernatural or just actually just caring for them with medicine or whatever it might look like caring for the, like everyone. So the church ran healthcare, the, the church, the government never should. I mean, I get, I get why it happened in the incentive of like the government being in, in control of marriage, um, and, you know, it was actually a tax incentive because people weren't getting married and they needed families to be started and all of that. Um, but the government should have nothing to do with marriage. Like that's the mm-hmm. church's job. The church decides what's a marriage and what's not and blesses the covenant. That has nothing to do with a certificate from a, you know, obviously we live within that system. So we do that. But like, yeah. Um, so that's well for What do you think? Know. What do you think caused all that with like, you know, the church stepping away? from their responsibility. I don't know. I don't, I don't know exactly. Cause things like, uh, well, things like the hospitals, like there's certain denominations that have continued to do that, but they've stepped mm-hmm. away from God in the process, uh, in some ways and things like adoption, like the church adopting kids and, and being the place that like people used to leave their kids. If they didn't feel like they could take care of them, they would have them and leave them at the church. Um, Mm. abortion wouldn't have a place in this country if we were actually willing to take care of children and just take that on taking care of the poor. Like it was always the the church's job. So I don't know. I I don't know if we just got caught up in other things. Like I'd, I'd really have to dig into the history of that specifically in the U S um, I mean, Europe, they became kind of a, a secular culture, yeah. uh, postmodern culture. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts, either of you? 
No, I'm just kind of curious. I know you do study a lot of church history and stuff. So I was curious what you're thinking. Uh, I just, I don't know. I think the only thing that was like on my mind when you were talking about that is just kind of like, I feel like churches turned a little bit more inward where it became a little bit more corporation like all about big buildings and and book sales and big conferences and all this stuff uh, and and just keeping the lights on and, and instead of just like really being a grassroots, you know, like we don't need any of these other things. We're just here to focus on people, not, not buildings and stuff. So uh, that's the only thing that kind of came to mind. Do you have any thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder if just like separation of church and state started to influence things like that too, or it's just like, Hey, let's have the state take care of hospitals or mm. X thing versus the church. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just a guess. Yeah, I think both are probably true. That that's a good point, though. There probably was because because the the church and because so much of our nation had biblical principles and things like that. It probably actually was really easy to like let the government begin to pass over that line a little bit of like actually that's our responsibility and it's just easier mm-hmm. to let the government do it. Like taking care of the poor, it's like we it's easier for us to let the government take our money and take care of the poor than for us to actually take care of the poor um, and help people. And so, and then I think, I think there is the modern culture. I'm even thinking like, once again, I've never studied church history in America at this angle to like really investigate that. Um, But I'm even wondering with like, so in Europe you had established cities where that was happening, uh, where churches actually were adopting their community and, and that sort of thing. And then you take Europeans, you move them here, and it was like starting over, starting from scratch. And then you've got pioneering. And so you don't have these established cities. So any churches that were forming were probably just like that immediate community. And mm-hmm. I just wonder if, if that, you know, because that, that would have taken 100 plus years to even get to the point that there's some bustling cities and to get to the point that that would actually be a necessity. And the church might have lost that you know, from mm-hmm. the point of being at Europe to the point that we actually needed it um, as like a, a way of doing church. Uh, it's just a thought. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So what is, what's your guys' thoughts, just to completely change gears, uh, what, what's your guys' thoughts on the state of the church? Like where, where's the church heading? What What are your thoughts? Just wherever mm. that takes you. Yeah. Oh man, we we were kind of thinking about that. We were like, "Huh, where where is the church going?" Uh, I don't I, I don't feel like I, I. Well, the only thought that I have on that is like, to me, it seems like everything that's going on in the world, like the shaking that's happening, it's really uh, creating a div- a divide between kind of the the sincere, maybe and insincere, or like the people who want to go deeper in 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 their faith, deeper in God, and the people that were kind of. Uh, we're more so in the world and are kind of easier to, to slip back into it. So uh, I, I've been seeing a lot of that. I feel like there's really a divide of like people are taking sides right now because there's so much division. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of Christians taking sides that are like not very biblical, but they feel right. And they're like yeah. the spirit of the age. And it's just mm-hmm. like, Oh no. Oh, you're, you know, cause Jesus said in Matthew, like, there's going to be a lot of uh, prophets and, and false Christs that come along to deceive even the elect. And so I feel like this is happening right now with, you know, maybe not necessarily through the prophets, how we understand them, but like through these these people with voices in, in media and, and, and political sphere and all that stuff. So 
I think that's really creating that's like a, I guess, a negative angle to it. There's a divide, but also there's a positive angle on that. And because it kind of really refines the church and kind of trims off a lot of the weight, so to speak, the people that weren't um, really there for the right reasons and creating some of the uh, divisions within the church and some of the uh, you know problems there. So I think it's going to create a, a really um, refined uh, you know church that's in shape and on fire. So I'm really excited about that. Mm, yeah. And I think too, it's kind of similar to what he's saying, but I think, and we've, we've probably all heard this a lot, but something I feel I'm observing kind of with different, different churches or different people is, um, I think before churches were very, could very easily be like culturally relevant or very easily like integrate into the culture and it's becoming harder to do so if you want to stay true to the gospel, you know, to the, to the Bible. And so I think that's going to be really interesting too, is to see the people who are willing to remove themselves from like what is going on culturally in the sense of taking the sides of cultural arguments and cultural things and really just sticking true to like, this is the word, this is what, you know, Jesus said, this is what we have to do apart from what's culturally popular. And I think that like cancel culture kind of goes right along with that too, is like churches are going to have to decide like, Hey, I'm good. I'm okay with not being liked by the majority mm-hmm. of this culture right now, because I'm sticking to something that the Bible is saying. And it's okay. If you, if you're not going to accept me in this, in this cultural context, you know? Um, so that's going to be very interesting to see because just again, just even like this past year, 2020, I've, I've just been seeing a lot of things where it's just like leaders or churches or whatever are saying things that like culturally sound really good, but then it's like, okay. And then how, how much are we going to keep going along with what culturally sounds good before we feel like we're um, defiling what we believe in, you know, and what the Bible is asking us to take a firm stance on. So. Yeah. I think to that point also, it's like, a lot of the morality, I guess, up to this point in America has been very um, kind of uh, in same in line with Christianity, with Christian like values. Right. You know, but now there's this like a greater divide where it's like, oh, it's obvious, you know, if you're if you're a little different, if you're if you're not sharing the same values as the world is. You it's know? kind of aggressive, too. Yeah. And before this point, I feel like it was easier to kind of sneak under the radar and have your foot in both places. Like, oh, he's just a really nice guy, the world would say. And then, oh, he's a really good Christian, the church would say. But now it's like, oh, he's a bigot or he's whatever, closed minded. And, and now so it's just like it becomes a little bit, the divide is a little more sharper. And I, I was reading first um, Peter the other day and he was saying like, you know, they, you know, the world maligns you because you don't take part of their drunken orgies. I'm like, well, we don't have that. So it's like, you know, the, the world doesn't, can't really persecute us for, because we, there's no dramatic divide, but I feel like now we're inching towards a, a place where there is this dramatic wow. divide. That's a really, really great way of putting it. That makes a lot of sense because it's much it's much more difficult. Uh, you know, this gets into some other stuff we talked about, but it's much more difficult to stand and like you know, as a white person, you, you know, you're being called a, a racist because you are a Christian. Like when it, if it becomes that, like where it's like character assassination for things that you completely oppose, will you then submit to what they're saying? You know, and or will you stand, even though there's the character assassination, the shaming, mm-hmm. all that? It is mm-hmm. such a dramatic divide. Speaking of like the false prophets and all that, I, I 
I think, uh, I think what we're going to see, I think, I think all this attack on the current prophets and stuff and on the prophecies, and I, I'm not going to get into all that, but like, I think that has opened the door in the amount, the way that, um, the way that people have attacked, uh, attacked them and Christians have really revealed what's in their heart, um, just with how, uh, divisive and toxic the stuff that's come out has been, mm-hmm. um, I think we're going to see a new a new set of prophets rise up that will be culturally aligned and will prophesy out of that. I think that's what I think that's mm-hmm. what we're going to see false prophets look like, um, mm-hmm. where it'll it'll be really close to kingdom and seem like they're saying a lot of really good things, and it'll be one of those things where it's like if you don't if you don't really pay attention to what they're saying, uh, you're going to be led astray in that. Um, because I, I think we're going to see almost like the uh, the other side of the prophetic begin to arise, and it's going to be really important to hear God on who's who's right and who's not. Did we talk about this a little bit uh, last time we were in Seattle about the prophetic and how what's happening with that? Do you remember that? I think maybe, you were saying maybe. How, were you telling me how like I might have heard of somebody else, but it might have been you. Or it's like kind of like the prophets in America have gotten so cozy in the church because they acceptance, and a lot of the prophets haven't been really, you know, bringing the word that isn't always accepted, and they've been kind of compromised in their heart a little bit because they wanted the acceptance of the church and not bring something that's offensive to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like I don't know. I wonder if that's also part of it because I feel like a, I don't know. I don't know if you want to open up that can, but. That's an interesting, it's an interesting topic right now with everything that's going on. Yeah, I I think uh, back in 2017 is when I first really started noticing that there was there was like an internal war happening, and I out of fear of the Lord, like there's a lot of this. I just felt like the like the Lord's just like don't talk about it. No, like it's not it's not your thing to talk about right now. Um, so I won't get into too much of it, but I, I believe, I believe that there was a, a war that was like starting to happen within the prophetic and, um, and a almost, it was like a holy agitation that was happening where prophets were turning on each other, uh, and, and like really confronting each other on different things and disagreeing. And it was, it started to create this like thing where they were starting to have to figure out like, you know, what do you believe on this and that? And. But yeah, there's definitely been comfort. There's definitely been acceptance, um, and so I I think I think we're going to see the church like there's just things that we don't believe in, like that uh, the majority of the charismatic culture doesn't believe in. Like if somebody gives a negative word, um, but then we have biblical precedent for it, you know, and, and acts prophesying famine and things like that. And it's like that stuff's important. Like that, it actually is important to have prophets that hear God on those things. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think we're going to see a lot of that restored in the way it should be. Uh, but most of it we don't like because the kingdom is not a democracy. It's not a Republic and it, it is not, it's not friendly to our feelings either. And I think that's the piece Mm -hmm. that people don't understand. So like everyone who has an opinion that they're posting publicly about the prophets, I have, uh, I would be very cautious to do that because the kingdom has its own Mm -hmm. authority structure and it, you know, like, Jesus himself takes care of that stuff. Um, I don't, I don't need to speak against anything to, uh, to like, I have no part in that. (laughs) Yeah. That's wisdom. Mm. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting. I I was, 
Go ahead. Yeah, go on. I was going to say to that, like about the kind of like negative words and stuff. Uh, I think this kind of connects. Uh, I was uh, reading uh, Revelation the other day, and man, like so, like some of the stuff that Jesus said to those churches were like not the most like nice, comfy thing. But then to some, he would say like really like uplifting things. Like to one church, he said, "Hey, I'm going to protect you from the trial that's coming on the world." And then to the other, he's like. Prepare to endure some suffering. Some of you are going to go to jail and uh, and be faithful until death. And so, just like like offensive to some of our understanding of what of what prophetic should be. And and I guess that when you're saying like where's the church going and thinking about like government and persecution or whatever, and it's just like hearing Jesus saying that like in the same chapter to different churches, it's like there's there has to be a level of humility like you don't know what what season we're in what what timing we're in it could be one or the other and you just have to kind of stay close to god and and just uh, be ready for either Mm -hmm. yeah and that's the other thing like with politics because just to tie back to like the communism you know socialism thing is like for me personally and i mean i'm sure you can probably agree with this as well it's just like man this is like a big thing and like we want to say something and and just talk to people about this and and all these different things and then there's also that like reminder that like we are um as important as these things are and i think we should be talking about them obviously but also we we get our leadership from god and so we are still in this country and we are you know i just I don't know. It's just like that reminder that there's more that's there's something greater above American politics or whichever country's politics we're in. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I think the church needs to rise above the politics mm-hmm. that they've gotten so entangled in um, just, just to say something and to, again, just to be relevant or because they're passionate about it. And yeah. there's, there's a higher level that we're kind of, supposed to be living in that's above politics so it's been personally for me a journey of like okay god where's where's the wisdom and talking about this versus not talking about this even internally like caring about this and really getting versus just saying like you know what i the world's gonna do what the world's gonna do and and we have to live above that so it's an interesting season i think in terms of even that just seeing things that are wrong and seeing things that we don't like but um kind of balancing that kind of question with God of like, what do we do with this? You know, what we're seeing and and what's happening, at least for me, that's been kind of something I've been talking to God a lot about. Yeah. I totally agree with that because going back to that passage, like there's going to be false prophets and and Christ that rise to uh, deceive even the elect. I feel like a lot of Christians, conservatives, like really got carried away in some of the political stuff to where it's just like consumed them. And it's not mm-hmm. where it started out as like, well, this is the right thing. We got to participate in this. We got to promote our values. Now it's just like, if you hear them say, speak something or post something, it's all political. It's all like really nasty. And it's just like, Whoa, you just got deceived. You just got carried away there. So, and, and, but then again, there is this like fine line, like you, line. you have to be, we live in a unique, point in history where we can actually participate in government you know whereas like again in that same passage from peter he said submit to all like earthly human government um you know institutions to the emperor but he lived under an emperor like we live in a republic where we can vote and we can like run for office and so it's it's a fine line like hey we have to be involved but then again we have to remember that we're 
citizens of another realm as well and and not be totally consumed and put all of our hope in this realm which is hard to figure out I think, yeah. by yourself of it. yeah yeah and I, I think it's a moment by moment situation by situation because we're not that's actually something i've been processing a lot what you just said is you know we are we're not even dictated by a person we're dictated by a document and so mm-hmm. like, and it's a document and this is a government for the people. So it actually is serving us or supposed to. And so it's like, we actually have a lot more say and a lot more involvement than, you know, I think we've wanted to. And I think the church has mm-hmm. abandoned some of that, but then we so easily are swayed. It's like, with, you know, Jesus, the warning of the, the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, and it's the political spirit and the religious spirit. And like, mm-hmm. And in a little leaven leavens the whole lump, you know, and it's like even a little bit of that in your life takes away, you know, the fullness of, of, of God, like being manifest in you. And that's, that's the piece I don't ever, I, I, I want to make sure I'm never in fear of man and don't want to speak out on something if I'm supposed to, but mm-hmm. I'm also not, I don't want to, I don't want to draw persecution in my life because I'm stupid you know, or like, yeah, fight battles that aren't mine. Like if God's asking me to, I totally want to do it. But, and I think that's what all of us have to, you know, we have to be able to walk that process with, with Jesus and like, Hey, do I get involved or do I not? Like, you know, and, and, and more than just, I think, I think we typically, um, I think we're we're all guilty to some extent of thinking that Jesus agrees with all of our politics and our views and our feelings and that's where like, you know, in Hebrews, it talks about uh, his word cuts between soul and spirit, like your soul, your mm-hmm. mind, will, and emotions and your spirit and your spirits wrapped up in him with Holy Spirit. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So like being able to separate between what is my mind, will, and emotions right now and what is Holy Spirit saying about this? And that may take, you know, praying in the spirit for a while. It may take going and fasting like to decide mm-hmm. And that's, that's one thing that's really tough is like God may support a political candidate you don't like. And it's not because he's like, this person has perfect character, you know, it's yeah. like, he, I'm going to use him for my purposes, uh, he or she for what I'm doing right now. And yeah. I, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts around everything that's going on right now, but I've been really, uh, relatively quiet because I feel like the church, um, the church isn't even a place to hear it right now because there is so much, so much the, the leaven that's being worked out, the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees that's being worked out of the church right now until that's kind of dealt with until Holy Spirit deals with that. Like none of this other stuff's going to make sense because it's always there and it comes up and it manifests in these moments. So mm-hmm. what, are, what do you think? Um, cause we had a really interesting conversation when you, when you guys came and visit, uh, a while ago, um, about some like house church and what that could look like and the future structure of the church and some of that. Um, where are you guys at in that process? Have you, have you been thinking about that more? Has it been put on the back burner? Like, what do you share some of your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, we were just to recap, like we were really interested in that. Like even before the, um, before all the quarantine started and stuff like that, like we transitioned before even like the virus, anybody heard about it, we transitioned to, uh, pretty much just doing home church. Um, we stopped going to like main gatherings just because like we, corporate corporate. Yeah. Cause we felt like we prayed in, about it and we felt like God was 
okay with that because it was both on our hearts. We're like, Hey, we like, I feel like there's, we're getting more of everything in those like smaller gatherings. We can actually communicate with people and minister to others as well to get, get what, ministered. What's a smaller gathering. Can you just define that for people or. Oh, uh, like a house, uh, a house gathering, like what would pe- some people consider like a, you know, a small group, a Bible study 10, or whatever. 15, yeah. 20 people. Yeah. Anybody who can fit in the living room. So, um, <laughs> So that we did that for what was that like a year or so, mm-hmm. and then uh, when we were just about to get like ready, like you know what, we really also see the value of corporate gatherings, like of of different, because you know we were kind of in the same age range with everybody in our group, and it's like I, I really want the fullness of the body. We want the different different ages, different um, you know stages of life. Uh, we don't want to kind of miss out on 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 the different wisdom we can get from other people. And also something just to like add into that. Um, I remember like it started after we'd done like a year of just like small groups. I remember God kind of starting to talk to me about like, Hey, your family members in in Ukraine and whatever, like desire to gather with Mm -hmm. people. And there's people in other countries that, that die for that, you know? And so for us to have that opportunity and to just not fully, be a part of it is also something I don't know just kind of interesting to think about because it's been so freely available in America mm-hmm. that it's it's kind of taken for granted and we didn't we didn't make that decision lightly what like what we're going to do and how we're going to do it but I just really felt in my heart like this is also a part of God's desires for that unity of like large groups of people coming together you know and really just worshiping in unity and it just there's like something special in that as well mm-hmm. um that is just different from the small group setting. And I think that we're coming to the realization that both are really important to us and both are really um, unique experiences with people and with God. So I just yeah. wanted to add that in. Cause it's like, you know, thinking about in Ukraine, like yeah. people couldn't gather in large groups. Like it's, a privilege. Now. it's, it's such a, yeah, and, such and a now privilege. I think more Americans realize that, you know, after not being able to gather for so long, and so, um, but just to pick up where I left in terms of like, there was a moment where we wanted to go back to the, the main gatherings and then all this stuff hit, you know, with quarantines and stuff. So our timing was awesome. <laughs> it was like, we were just about to, but what's interesting here in Columbus, uh, the kind of, um, it seems like the trend, I mean, it's only two churches, but two churches that we're connected with, um, like they are transitioning to a half and half model, you know, one Sunday is a corporate gathering. Another one is like small groups around people's homes. So we're actually starting to see more churches transitioning to that. So it seems like it's encouraging when you see something like that, because it's not like just, Oh, we had this on our hearts. It's like, Oh, there's something globally in the church happening there. There's a desire for this. This is something God is actually leading and people are responding with these things. So I, I think that's more what it's going to look like. But then again, just contextually for what's been happening with quarantine and stuff, we went to um, the Jesus 20 conference in Florida uh, not too long ago. And just to be with a massive gathering of Christians again was just like, we weren't going to miss that for the world. Yeah. There's so much energy, just like, you know, thousands of people. I mean, there was over 8,000 people yeah. there, which maybe we shouldn't say. It was, <laughs> we're it was, it was, it was outdoors, socially and outdoors uh, <laughs> and uh, but there was like lines uh, for hours like literally five people waited for five hours to get in and it, it people are really hungry to be with 
uh, with the whole body with just more than just a handful of people. Mm -hmm. So to be honest, I don't even, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I feel like there's a little bit of everything, but um, there's definitely some sort of a shift happening. The status quo for sure has been shaken and it's kind of exciting to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like for us, the main driver for the small group and Dimitri kind of touched on this, but like is genuine connection and impact with like, people's lives into our lives and us into other people's lives that we felt like wasn't really there wasn't an opportunity for that in like general church settings and so I think it's like this beautiful blend now of like connection like deep connection with people and more intimate circles of just like conversation or just hearing out what's going on and then being able to gather in large settings and just worship God and just like use that privilege to be able to meet together while we still have it, you know? Um, it's, so it's been kind of an interesting perspective, you know, change for me to just be like, wow, I actually really appreciate this. This is, this is really beautiful. And, um, something I'm realizing that other people haven't had the privilege of having at all. So, yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I think that what's happened has also awakened people to that model a little bit more. Because uh, I, I have friends here in Seattle, pastors uh, that I've met with, and um, they've had kind of the same question, like, you know, what is what is a pandemic proof church look like? What is uh, a, a non-tech church look like? Like if mm-hmm. all of our tech was taken down, could we still have church? Mm-hmm. Um, th- those sorts of questions. I've had some really good conversations on, in almost like a consultancy kind of way. And uh, I brought up how we did fire and just that model, which I, th- I think I've changed it a little bit, like in my mind, processing some of this stuff um, and, and kind of figure out like, what are these for? What are these, uh, the different gatherings actually for, which like what you're talking about, the 8,000 people and stuff like there's nothing like that kind of corporate worship where you've got that, yeah. you just tons of people at you, you may not know the person to your left or right, but you're all like focused on you know, worshiping Jesus and nothing else matters right now. Um, mm-hmm. that kind of unity is amazing. Like when you get in those, that flow and Holy Spirit's moving in the room and everyone's hearts like kind of in the same place. Um, you don't get that in a living room and mm-hmm. I've been in some amazing living room worship. <laughs> uh, but you also don't get any, really any church that's more than like 50 people. You don't really get the real connections and stuff the way, the way that you can do life throughout the week. And, and I think that's where the house stuff comes in, and especially if it's like geographical. Um, yeah. And so like every, I, one of the things I, I realized is like every major uh, church planting movement in other countries, like underground churches, those, that sort of thing, they're all house churches and mm-hmm. they will do larger gatherings for certain purposes. If they can, they'll get everyone together. Um, and I really think that's, I think that's the model. And what, we, what we've talked about for here, um, myself and these other pastors is like the house church being a place of teaching of, of hands-on, like praying for each other, being in each other's lives, serving each other, serving your community outside of that, um, you know, interacting with your community, but as a, like a family, like interacting with the people around you, taking taking authority over your area. Like this is mm-hmm. ours. We're here. We're planted here. We're going to love people, uh, love our neighbors really well. And then, um, you know, and then let the main, the main gatherings be primarily worship celebration. That's a good place to do baptisms. And like as a public, you know, pronunciation, 
not pronunciation, proclamation of, of I'm following Jesus now. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm excited. I think, I really do think that's where we're headed is that kind of like blend. And I think people are open to it because the church buildings can be taken. The church could be shut down. It's going to be really hard to stop people from meeting in their houses. Like I know in New York, they had some like KGB esque, like people were going door to door and certain like police were going door to door and like breaking up some meetings, uh, within the Jewish community. But like, wow. you know, um, I, we might eventually get there, but for the most part, we could gather in our house and people can complain all day and it doesn't matter. Um, so I think, I think that's what, you know, it's, it, it's pandemic proof. It's, you know, you can go underground and do that. We can, I think we're also going to see a rise of business churches. This is something I, I, after our conversation, uh, I, I think about our conversation a lot, actually, the one we had that one night, um, just because it stirred stuff in me. But since then, I've thought about you guys as I've thought about this like business church thing. Mm-hmm. And like in, in China, uh, there are a lot of churches that are like the, the leaders run a business and then they have church there uh, separate from that. And so, like, I think that's the way to go. Um, I think that's where things are, are going to head. Not necessarily because we're all going underground, but because, like, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, actually, Judah Smith said this to a friend of mine. Um, Judah Smith, the you know, one yeah, yeah. Uh, from church home. Uh, his, his original church is, like, 10 minutes, 15 minutes down the road uh, oh, from cool. here. And it, it's in Kirkland, Washington. And uh, anyways, so he he said something to a friend of mine. He said, um, in the church, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to, re- to reach hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And he said, if we did that in any other industry, we'd be fired for incompetence. And and for some reason in the church, like that's normal. Like we, we spend like tons of money. Like if you saw some of these church budgets, tons of money to have meetings once a week you know, and like, it's just, it's just crazy. And then all the advertising and stuff to get people in and versus like having something that actually is funding itself, having a business, having something like that. And then a certain day of the week, you know, probably Sunday, cause that's what we do. Um, just technically birthed out of celebrating the resurrection on, on a Sunday when Jesus was resurrected. But, um, it's become religious. Anyways, uh, having something like on Sunday, that business is shut down, but everyone gathers there, you know, for worship and uh, you have that sort of thing. I think that's, I think that's where we're going to head. I think we're going to see church leaders that kind of bypass, you know, like something like 80% typically of budgets, church budgets are salary. And I'm not against people being paid or, or anything like that, but like, could you imagine if churches just actually had their own companies and were making money and then yeah. anything that came in was just for poor orphans, widows, and missions? Like, that's pretty insane. 80% of the budget, like, that, and that's what I'm saying, uh, or, you know, what Joseph Smith was saying is, like, we'd be fired for incompetence if we ran anything else this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, think there, there is something to, like, the parable of the talents and, like, I feel like the church and the church, a lot of times we've been guilty, myself included, like we just kind of hold on to stuff and we like try, you know, just do our little thing. And it's like, man, what if we actually figured out how to grow the money that we're given, how to, how to do those things? Um, obviously if communism takes over all, what, everything <laughs> I just said is thrown out the window, but. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's also like, 
the other thing I've noticed, even with myself personally, is being a part of like the the typical church structure for so long. I've even noticed being like, oh, I'll let them figure that out, you know, or so this is a problem. Leadership should take care of it, you know. And I think that the home church model or, you know, whatever you want to call it really kind of creates this expectation of like, there's not that many of us and we all are here um, with a purpose and we're all important and we all have something to offer to each other and to, you know, to the community, to God. And so I think it creates more um, ownership of, of the community, of the group of people that you're with. And we've even noticed this, like with the people we gather with, like even just a sign, like, Hey, you're, you're going to do this and you're going to do this, like really just brings out people's, um, creative ideas even and like stewardship of what they have and so that's something really beautiful too and I think maybe to go back to the conversation about like taking care of the poor or things like that like those are desires that are already I think in people's hearts but then if you give them an opportunity to like engage a whole group of people and like say hey this week let's go do this or it just it's more effective rather than waiting for someone in leadership of a you know 2,000 people church or whatever 500 people mm-hmm. church even to figure out some time to come up with a program that two people can volunteer for or whatever it is. So I also just like the ownership that it calls out in everyone to really just take charge of the community and, and the group and, um, you know, the city or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause we, we pay right now the way that the American church is structured, we pay a couple staff members to do the work that Jesus called the whole body to do. Right. It's like, Oh, you're going to handle outreach. You're going to handle, you know, our, our feeding the poor and like that whole program that we built. And whereas like, you know, this is, this is some, some of the conversations I've been having, like this is the stuff that's coming up is Philip and Steven were, they were feeding people. They were taking care of people and feeding them food and something in that, I, I believe developed their hearts with such love that it actually like it, it did something in them to the point that Holy Spirit could be like, they are evangelists, like send them, send them like they, they got to go out now. And like, there's something that's developed in that place, but we've removed like all these things from the body or like, okay, you, you just give your tithes and offerings and our staff will, will cover this so that you, mm-hmm. and you're part of the church. So you're a part of it because you gave your money, but there's no transformation because they're not actually, mm-hmm. Like there's just something when you you're with a, somebody who's homeless and you're loving them and you see God touch them or you you help a single mom and she cries and mm-hmm. hugs you like it just does something to you that you don't get yeah. just watching a video at your church where they show you all the cool stuff that happened. So yeah, yeah, it's a very like intellectual approach to you know Christianity where you just like consume information and just get get the knowledge of how to be a good Christian, but when you when you're avoiding opportunity to actually put that to action you're losing out and i think it applies also like we're talking about communism and all these different things socialism and that applies to government too i think that for a lot of people there's this mentality and i've again i've thought that too for for quite a while before really having a mindset shift of like oh well there's just those people that are in government or they're they're on their city boards or you know city councils or they do this and they do that and really changing the mindset of like no it's on me too to get involved it's on me to um be a part of something and to and to help and to serve and to do these things and so i think like activating it in one area of life starts to spur even the idea of putting that into practice in another area of life because then you see the need for it you're like oh wow i help the homeless but now who's going to advocate for 
this or this or this, you know? And so then you want to get more involved. And so anyways, I just think that taking the backseat approach in church or in, in politics or whatever just ends up giving a couple people a lot of responsibilities that mm-hmm. should go to everyone. Wow. That's such a good point. Like how many people, how many, I've had a lot of these conversations over the years that have gotten me in a lot of trouble, but uh, how many people are no closer to their destiny because they're ushering in the church and being told like, serve, like you serve, 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 and you'll get closer to like what God has for you. But right now you're just in a season where you're serving, but really if they could serve in that way, it would unlock what they're actually called to do. And then Mm -hmm. they'd be able to step into it. And we're actually guarding them from their destiny by being like, Hey, just go be an usher. Like we need you to do this, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And, but if they got hands on, they might realize like, wow, like these homeless women are being trafficked. Like they're all these, this is a, you know, these prostitutes. I didn't realize this was happening right down the road for me. They need an advocate or they need somebody to talk to. I'm going to go become a counselor. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to become a lawyer. Like, yeah, I just wonder how much of that has happened. Um, that we're going to be guilty of like, you know, before yeah. heaven, like, Hey, these people's destiny was, was stolen or like this would actually transform culture. And this just gets back to the broader story of the church has dropped this stuff, dropped these pieces of what we're called to do. And I think, I think in a weird way, all of this is going to stir. And I don't know how exactly, but I think, I think eventually we're going to finally lose, maybe not everyone, but we're going to lose our, our hope in our, our faith in the government and start realizing like we as a church need to be much more mm-hmm. uh, in a healthy way, territorial and take ownership and, mm-hmm. and not just try to hoard everything and, and be inward focused, but like, no, this is my community. I take it personally that this stuff is happening and we're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to go out and we're going to overcome evil with good. I think that that's mm-hmm. where we're, we're headed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting too, with like the whole, depending on government, because that's something that like Slavic people, if they're immigrants, you know, they come, they have like this inherent distrust of government, most of them. And so it's just, it's been very interesting to see people that are, you know, born Americans or whatever, not everyone, obviously, but some of them just being, just having like such a trust for the government. And so it's just interesting to see that being uh, changed a little bit as things come out. And so I'm, I think that hopefully we'll get people to take personal personal action or personal responsibility for things rather than just trusting government to take care of everything for them. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's how this country is born, right? Like a bunch of people that were, they did not trust government at all. <laughs> They're like, we're, we're going to, we're going to start this over and do yeah. this in a way that, you know, but somehow that's gotten lost over the last several hundred years. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I know it's getting late there for you guys, uh, but I want to ask the question I, I shared with you guys before. You guys can each each take a couple minutes, um, but just closing this out, uh, you know, if all of humanity was listening to you right now uh, for two minutes, um, what, what message, like obviously everyone would share the gospel, um, so put that, putting that aside for a second, what's the message in your heart, like everyone's listening to you right now, what would that message be? And either one of you can go. Just take a couple minutes each. Would you like to go first, baby? I've been talking a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this is the type of question that uh, you should, like, probably create a draft for and and, and read it. But uh, off the top of my head, um, I would say I would just share with something that's kind of been uh, impacting my heart recently in, in 
I guess in the last couple of years, but it, more and more it's becoming, um, you know, more impactful like this year and, and with all the changes and all the shakings. But basically I've been really getting rooted in um, just God's faithfulness, God's purpose for the earth. Uh, there's a, a verse, one of my memory verses in Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 46. I always forget the address, but it's I'm God and there's none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all of my purposes. And so like that verse just brings me so much comfort that God stood before time and he had purposes. He declared them. And they will happen like they will happen for our lives. They will happen for our nation. They will happen for everyone. They're not always pleasant purposes for us. Uh, They might have a bigger purpose in in developing character and holiness and all that stuff. So uh, but there's a comfort that God is in control and his word does not return empty. Everything he spoke came to existence this whole world came into existence despite rebellious man ha- has been rebelling against him from day one. Uh, his purpose did not change and his will is being accomplished in the earth. So um, I can, I can take comfort in that. And I just want to uh, impart that comfort to others to trust God, trust his word and um, not listen to another voice. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um this is this feels so like a lot of pressure but anyways um something i would say is this is still tied to like the bible and you know and our faith so i don't know if you wanted something like more broad but um something that i've really found to be true in my life is like if you pursue truth um it will it will come to light and you can and you have like a firm foundation to stand on that you can that can set you free in a lot of ways and that can kind of help bring freedom for other people. And so I really think that above what's popular and above what's current, like really standing on the ground of like pursuing truth and pursuing what brings freedom, like whether it's mentally, you know, or physically or whatever, I just think that to me, that's something that's been very important in my life is like, what is the truth about the situation? Um, what is the truth about what I'm believing? What is the truth about um, how I'm living? And when I find the truth, I can find like a, a clear path to walk by and a, and a firm foundation to live on. And so I would really encourage people to just not um, take things for face value necessarily, not to just like believe the first thing that you hear and, you know, whether spiritually or like in things that are going on in life and just really be committed to truth. Um, because I think that if you're not, then anyone can catch you up in a, in a narrative that sounds good or um, feels good. Yeah, or feels good. But if you are committed to truth, then you are not you're not easily shaken or you're not easily moved to one thing or the other. And I, I really think that the world could use some some more people who are more firm, not wavering. I guess that's kind of like if you know truth, you're not going to waver. And um, that that creates strong people who are able to to stand up for something and to stand up for something for a long time. And um, so that's just something that's really important to me and something I would encourage others. And so, yeah. That's good. That's really good. Really good. Well, awesome. So how can, if, if uh, some people listening or watching, I guess, uh, if they would like to follow you guys or keep up with you guys or reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? 
Yeah, um, I'm not super active on anything anymore, but uh, <laughs> I think I still have Instagram uh, D underscore P R O K D proc. Uh, you can find me there. Um, you can email me. Oh my, gosh. <laughs> my last name, the number nine at gmail.com. <laughs> Yeah, I'm on Instagram primarily, Christina Prog, P-R-O-K, same thing. Um, so if you want to follow me, <laughs> I, I feel like we need to have bigger platforms to have this question asked. <laughs> yeah. No, you don't. You're, you're good. Well, awesome, guys. Thank you so much. Um, I've loved having you guys on. Also, if, uh, if you're watching or listening and you'd love to support FIRE, uh, in any way, you can go to firemovement.com slash support. Uh, there you can give a one-time or monthly gift, however you'd like to do that. And we appreciate all support, uh, prayers, all of that. Thank you guys so much. And uh, Dimitri and Christina, thank you so much for being on. Appreciate Thanks you guys. I love us. you a lot. Uh, Thanks, man. Until next time, I'll see you guys. Take Bye. care.